takes the snap, looks left under pressure. Bullets one over the middle, and he's got Crowder at the 10, cuts it back at the 5, goal line! That's over the middle, in the air, picked off! Brian Poole to the end zone, touchdown! The punter to beat, and the punter brings him down. Brayden Mann saved a touchdown, most likely. There goes Gunner to the 40, to the 30, breaks the tackle at the 20, 10, 5, unbelievable! Touchdown! And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. We were recording this immediately after Monday Night Football. And Michael, we've seen this movie from the New York Jets, I mean, how many times in the last two decades or, and even longer in the team's history? Um, but specifically, the last two decades, the perennial same old Jets, fourth quarter collapse, it just add insult to injury uh, against the New England Patriots on primetime football. But this time... I have to say, it may have been the happiest I've been about a Jets game since 2019's uh, game against the Cowboys, where, where Robbie Anderson had the 90-yard touchdown and Sam Darnold's return. This game was dangerously close to knocking the Jets out of the Trevor Lawrence conversation. When you look at the Jags' remaining schedule, considering that they should have the strength of schedule advantage uh, over the Jets, that if the Jets win a game and the Jaguars lose every other game, which which it seems like they will will most likely do, that the Jets will be picking number two and be out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. You never know what could happen in the NFL. But for three and a half quarters, it really seems like the Jets were going to find a way to win this game. And somehow, in poetic fashion, the New York Jets collapsed uh, to fall to 0-9 for the first time in, in franchise history. Michael, how are you feeling, man? I mean... I'm I'm still on cloud nine right now. This is I mean it's like we're <laughs> cloud, in the, cloud um, O and nine. Cloud O cl- and nine. Um I should oh my god, I missed an opportunity there. I missed a golden opportunity. But I mean, we're kind of like in this bizarre world right now. Usually if the Jets had a game like this where they blew a 10-point fourth quarter lead on primetime against the Patriots. I mean, we'd be so depressed right now, but this is the most invested I've been in a game since the season opener against the bills last year I, I mean it is just so important for this franchise to get the number one pick they are in such a deep hole they have so little talent they have so little leadership on the coaching staff so to get that number one pick to get the best prospect at the most important position in the game in a very long time and to get the attraction to your head coaching spot that comes with him is so important for this team. So to win games at this point in the season just does not mean anything to me. So to win this game with Flacco starting, playing an insanely good game, would just it would it would be tough. And it would with the Jaguars looming right there, having the strength schedule advantage and a really tough schedule down the stretch, it would be really going into the bye week, it would definitely kind of lead to some pessimism for the jets going to the second half but uh they found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory as adam gase is very good at doing so i mean i feel pretty good and they did it in a fashion that is productive long term you had denzel mims play well you had uh bryce hall and jabari zuniga get snaps you saw uh, Connor McGovern and George Fant played well on the offensive line. Uh, no, no respect. Ashton Davis yeah, played there you well. go. I was about to say. And so there say. were just so many, you know, key players who played well in this game also. So I think this is as it, it didn't feel like it throughout the game because it was very close to not finishing this way. But in the end, this is about as good of an outcome as you could ask for. 
Yeah, and the poetry that Nick Folk, who hit how yes. many big kicks for the Jets over the years. Uh, and as Rich Eisen said on Twitter, this may have been the biggest of, of them all. If the Jets do indeed finish with the number one pick, and if Trevor Lawrence does come out um, and, and declare for the NFL draft, that this kick, and you can look back at this game and this moment uh, and this night as as the the reason that Trevor Lawrence will be going to Florham Park. Yeah, and, and hopefully not he's on Twitter looking at how much we want him. So hey, and, and the Jets didn't embarrass themselves. I mean, I would have liked Darnold to play it, not only because, uh, you know, I, I'm rooting for, for the kid, but also, you know, if Darnold plays well, it is a showcase for other teams. Maybe you can up that trade, that trade price. But the Jets didn't get embarrassed, uh, which is important because I know I don't put much credence into the whole Trevor Lawrence is going to avoid the Jets because I was tweeting in the middle of the game. It's like, do you think that Trevor Lawrence is sitting on his couch watching this game happier that, that his chances of going to Jacksonville are higher? like i don't think trevor lawrence really cares and if you had to ask him i, I would guess that he would prefer uh new york city over jacksonville but it, i guess it's new jersey but it's still new york city i mean even so the ownership in jacksonville isn't exactly and think about all the, the amount better of, than the johnsons and either. and like the jets have had plenty of, of player personnel issues and and uh in-house fighting and problems with management whatever but jacksonville is no better i mean they've had more players than the jets in recent years get drafted and leave and and have bitter spats between uh, between the owners and Coughlin and that whole mess down there. I mean, the Jaguars are as big, if not a bigger mess than the Jets are. And then when you look at the treasure trove of draft draft picks that the Jets have, the competent GM that I believe they have, I mean, the Jets, I and mean, we've done this the same podcast now probably 10 times, but the Jets are, are not a bad destination for a rookie quarterback. But back to tonight, uh, or I guess last night by the time you're listening to it, um, yeah, I mean, it was about as perfect of an outcome as you could have. You talk, I mean, I would have liked Arnold to play, uh, Flacco, probably a better fit for Adam Gase's system. I think he, it just fits better with the, I mean, this is Dal Loggins calling plays, but it's still Adam Gase's playbook just fits better with the, with a veteran quarterback. Um, there are a few times tonight where the Patriots sent pressure and Flacco just threw it away or went to his hot read immediately. Uh, didn't really have happy feet. I will say the offensive line probably played their best game of the whole season. Yes. And when you look at, you know, that was kind of a storyline all off season about um, does this offensive line have enough time to get together? Will it, you know, be able to gel by week one? And I don't, I think the answer was no. I think Becton looked good, but it took time. I mean, they looked better than 2019's unit, but they've been a unit that I feel like for the most part has been getting better each and every week. And we said, it was like, Oh, it's probably going to take until week six or week seven for them to be fully gelled together. I mean, it's week nine. So it's, they're still within that. Um, they, they've had a complete time to ramp up and, and develop chemistry with each other. And I think you saw it tonight, even with Makai Becton going out, that'd be the only thing I would have changed about tonight. Uh, you know, hopefully Becton's all right. I think you have to consider shutting him down for an extended period of time because it, it's a chest injury, but I would imagine speculating here, but that's probably related to the pec shoulder injury that he was battling a few weeks ago. It's just like, why, why re-aggravate it? You know, he's good. You know, this team isn't, sit him for a while if it's if it's minor i mean they're they luckily they do have the bye weeks that he can get healthy but i would just consider shutting him down um but going back to this game michael i mean this was a master class in tanking and i don't want to just say by the new york jets it frankly seems like bill belichick and the patriots were actively trying to lose this game at, at some points and i don't know if that's just you know the the fan in me or you know the uh, conspiracy theorist in me but the Patriots clock management in the fourth quarter, it, it worked out. It always works out for Bill Belichick, but it was God awful. It kind of reminded me. And I, and I said to my dad, when I was watching, I was like, this is the greatest coach of all time. And you're telling me this is how he would handle 
this situation in the Super Bowl or with Tom Brady at a meaningful playoff game or something like that? No, I mean, they were running the ball, letting the clock drip all the way down. That final, I think they got the ball with what, 50 seconds to go and they ran it. They threw screens. They, they ran a QB sneak. They, I mean, it was, it was awful really until that last play was the only time they took a shot downfield, which they should have done honestly from the first play, but it worked out. So who am I to question Bill Belichick's genius? Um, but I mean, it honestly looks like the Patriots were really going to blow this one. And it's funny, my entire life, this is the first time I've ever cheered for the Patriots to win, especially against the Jets. Um, the amount of times that I've, I've gone, I mean, I, hell, I went to the exact same game last year hoping for a Jets win on Monday Night Football against the Patriots, and they played their worst game maybe ever. Uh, and then this year, you know, I'm cheering for the Patriots, and for three and a half quarters, I was like, oh, my God, the Jets are going to find a way to blow this. And by blowing this, I mean win this. Um, but luckily, um, they found a way to lose in classic Jets fashion. It was really a, a perfect night. Uh, Michael, I guess we'll, we'll just bounce around some topics here. Let's start with the rookies. I think that's probably the, the most exciting part of this, and you've already talked about it a little bit. Let's let's go a little bit more in depth in Joe Douglas's draft class. You can throw Bryce Huff in there as well. What did you see from them? What was impressive? Um, what were some of the, the negatives, I guess, you saw? That last play that the play we're talking about, you know, that was either a miscommunication between Hall and Davis and zone coverage, which left Myers wide open to get them into field goal range. So that's a bit of a negative. But I thought Davis, I mean, clearly played his best game of the season but had a, had a really great game all around, I would say, unless, you know, that last play. Um, but kind of, yeah, just go in depth. I mean, from Becton to Mims to Davis to Pirine to the GOAT, Braden Man, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I think Davis definitely stood out the most. He had a few big plays. There was a great tackle he made near the pylon to save a touchdown. He had a huge pass deflection on a potential first down on, a, I believe it was second and 20, but it was a long-distance play in the fourth quarter that he broke up and obviously the Patriots eventually converted it, but that was a hugely clutch play. Uh, and he had a few more good tackles around the field, but he made a lot of big plays. He also had the sack, which was probably a soft penalty call. I mean, he could have done a better job lowering his head and his shoulder because it was such a clean shot, but still that was a good play to get off the chip and then get in there on the blitz for the sack. So he definitely stood out the most. Uh, Denzel Mims in the first half had some good contested catches in traffic again. Showed some after-the-catch ability, too. That wasn't something he did much of uh, in college, but he showed some really, really in his uh, in the Bills game, he showed a little bit. Uh, and then in this one as well, he showed some after-the-catch ability. So that's promising considering it's it wasn't a big part of his game when he was at Baylor. So uh, those two guys probably stood out the most. And, but... and if they threw to Mims at all in the second half, the Jets might have actually right. held on and won this game. I mean, I think he got one or two catches, but um, yeah, I'm only again, one target in the second half. And he see, I mean, Perriman obviously statistically had the better game, but it seemed like Mims was the one who was having, um, you know, a, a bigger effect, I guess, on the Patriots defense. Just at the start of the game, I guess Flacco's interception was a deep shot for Mims, but uh, it seems like, you know, going into the, the the remaining weeks, he's the guy that you really – I'm pretty confident that he can be a starting receiver for the Jets next year. I think he, he probably will be. But over the next well, – what do we have left in this nightmare season? Seven games? Over the next seven games, I just would like to see more and more Denzel Mims um, just every week just give him the ball because, yeah, he looks like a real keeper. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's definitely good to see Perriman play well. 
he's not your long-term answer, but I mean, going into next season, they have so many holes to fill and, you know, eventually you're probably going to have to fill out some depth. So uh, for him to show he's capable of making big plays in this offense, definitely makes him a really good fit as a fourth receiver next year. If you can bring him back exactly. on a cheap deal. So exactly, uh, you know, exactly. Hopefully you can get another number one, you know, you've Crowder locked in in the slot. Hopefully Mims is a starter for you and you can get someone else, but you know, Perriman has depth. This was, a good step forward. Look, this was his first good game, so you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but he was really good. And this is, you know, what the Jets are hoping to get based on what he showed in December of last year. So hopefully he can, can well, I mean, not necessarily hopefully because he's not under contract next season, but if he does continue to play this well, then he's definitely a prime target uh, to be brought back next season. Yeah, I think he's he's perfect for that receiver four role. He's pretty much exactly what you want. He's explosive. He's a good deep threat. Um, if he does it to fill into a starting role, like we saw him do last year in Tampa Bay, he was really effective. The big concerns with him, are, you know, are staying healthy and, and being uh, a consistent presence in the game. He has that Robbie Anderson thing. I mean, that'll not all the blames go on Robbie Anderson, but where they would disappear for for periods in a game or maybe even games at a time. Um, so consistency and injury, but. He clearly has the talent. He has the speed and he's shown throughout his career. These, these breakout games where he gets hot and he has stretches of games where he can, where he can put it together. Um, So yeah, I definitely think they should bring him back uh, and then look to target either your, your late first your early second, take a receiver there. And then boom, you have two super young receivers and Mims, one of the top slot options in the league in Crowder. And then you have an awesome depth guy in Perriman just at your receiving core. And that's ignoring whatever you're going to do at tight end and running back. Yeah, and, and that running back, you did see, I mean, Frank Gore is still probably getting the ball too much. 12 carries to P. Ryan six. That's no good. I mean, you definitely have to. I mean, objectively, Frank Gore has been better than P. Ryan this season, but I'm not better enough to warrant how many more carries he's getting. Uh, but P. Ryan did have one good first down catch uh, and a couple good short yardage conversions. Uh, but I would like to see more of P. Ryan. He hasn't been good so far he really hasn't broken a ton of tackles has his vision has been questionable at times but i want to see him play he's barely gotten any playing or as many touches as gore has so far so we definitely like to see more of him and then zuniga and bryce hall are getting playing time they were you know mysteriously absent for a long time uh took them quite a few weeks to get onto the field but now we're finally starting to see them play uh nothing too notable from either of those guys Uh, in this game but they're out there they're playing so it seems that we're going to see plenty of them throughout the second half of the season uh and Bryce Hall I feel like he played well because the only thing I remember from him was the one holding penalty but I'm pretty sure he played quite a few snaps and I don't remember him giving up any catches besides that maybe one or two but I mean Austin Desir were much worse so that's probably a good sign for Hall but we'll see what the the film uh, and also his snap count, his coverage numbers show throughout the week. But uh, at least those guys are out there and getting playing time. And that's huge for them in the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I think overall the story of this game is that it was the perfect um, Nania game, I guess is what I would say. is What you've <laughs> been talking the last few weeks of is literally just lose, be competitive, have the rookies play well, you know. And I guess I, I don't, I don't want to say you're the biggest Sam Darnold hater, um I'm out there the same but, hater. but I, I don't know about that michael the last few weeks would beg to differ but uh clearly doesn't make sam Darnold look that great um that joe flacco was able to come in here 
and have a, a great performance. I want to get your thoughts on that. Is that due mostly to all three receivers are healthy? The offensive line had a great game and Flacco's generally just a better fit for, for Adam Gase's pocket passer offense. Or is there just a legitimate criticism that Joe Flacco is a better quarterback than Sam Darnold? Well, I, I mean, obviously those things are a part of it. So you had Mims, Crowder, Impairman, that helps. The offensive line played well, but also Becton was out for the majority of this game, I believe about three quarters. So he did have to deal with that. But this was just not even considering his how well his teammates played or anything. This was by far better than any game Darnold has played this season. Darnold has played similar games his first two years, but this year, this was this was the first good game period that a Jets quarterback has played this season. Flacco was, I mean, he was just money down the field. The Crowder touchdown was absurd. Uh, the one touchdown, the first one to Perriman, that was fantastic. And under pressure, there wasn't a lot of pressure, but when it came, he knew where to go. He's getting the ball out quick. He's throwing it away. Uh, obviously, he had the predetermined deep shot interception late in the game, but for the most part, Flacco was really, really good in this game. I mean, ESPN gave him a QBR of 97.0. The uh, perfect rating is 100. So he was really good in this game. And uh, I mean, he's only played three games, so it's hard to say he's definitively better than Darnold right now. But this was better by far than any game Darnold has played this season. And, you know, going for at least based on the body of work we've seen so far Flacco has been better than him and again it's a small sample size but uh, I mean Darnold could come back and play well in his next game but this was a great performance by Flacco not even considering the supporting cast I don't think that has to do with it too much because Darnold hasn't played with all three of these guys at once but he has played with Crowder, Perriman, Mims throughout the season or the last two games he had Mims He's played with Crowder last year. He had Crowder, Robbie Anderson, um, Ryan Griffin, when he was still good, Le'Veon Bell. So although the offensive line wasn't good last year, obviously at all, but I don't think that had to do with it too much in this game. Flacco was just playing really well in this one. His throws were just absolute money. So um, going forward, it's too hard to definitively say he's better than Darnold just because this was one game. He was terrible against the Dolphins and okay against the Cardinals, but uh, this was a really good performance, and I don't think it had to do too much with the supporting cast. Could Darnold have played well in this one if he played? Sure, I think he could have. Stephon Gilmore didn't play. The Patriots' secondary is terrible. They were, uh, I'm, they've been terrible this season. They came in allowing the most yards per attempt in the league this season. Uh, so he definitely could have played well, but I don't think the supporting cast had too much to do with it. Although they played well, Flacco just independently of his surroundings was just playing really good quarterback in this game. Who would have thought that this is the, the conversation that we'd be having halfway through the season <laughs> at the beginning is, is Joe Flacco a better quarterback than Sam. Dar I mean, it's depressing. Um, you know, you put it well at the beginning of the episode. I mean, 2020, this season has just been an absolute bizarro reality um, for this team. And, and if it ends in Trevor Lawrence or even Justin Fields, given the, the college season that he's having, I'd say it's absolutely worth it. Um, you know, it, this was an embarrassing loss, but it was a much needed loss. I feel quite relieved um, because you look at the remaining jet schedule, they have a buy this next week. I, I mean, they're not going to lose or win anything there, but after that you have the chargers who are playing well, 
you know, uh, with Justin Herbert at that quarterback, you know, they I think they're only two and six or something. They're not having a great season, but they're certainly a more competitive and a better team than the Jets are. They've just lost some tough games. You have the Dolphins who look great under Tua last week against the Cardinals. That's probably a loss. You have the Raiders who, while the Jets blew them out last year in a similar circumstance, the Raiders, didn't they just beat the Chiefs a few weeks ago? Um, they're looking great under John Gruden. Then you go out west to to the Rams, or excuse me, to the Seahawks. They're not winning that game. They're not beating the Rams the next week. They could maybe beat the Browns, but, I mean, the Browns are having a playoff season this year as well. And then you close the season with the Patriots, which is on paper. And, again, the Jets or the Jaguars could win any of these next games that they're not favored in. But I would say that the Patriots are the one game that you have to keep an eye on. But, like you put it, the Jets played at their absolute best. And the Patriots played at their absolute worst, and the Patriots still ended up winning. Week 17, the Patriots will be at home, presumably have Gilmore. Um, and who knows, you know, who will be healthy on the Jets roster. So um, clearly feel good about the Jets' chances at landing at number one. That was a big game. That was clearly a, a yes. huge, a huge loss for the Jets. I, I mean, like you said, this is the Patriots are the easiest team in their schedule by far. They're they're not a good team anymore. And this team played as well as they possibly could. I mean, this was easily their best offensive performance and defensively cam newton was he threw the ball well but he was very gun shy did not want to attack downfield at all missed some open receivers downfield played played good but and came through it at the end but was not too explosive when he could have been so this was a they're a really good opportunity to win and they still couldn't come up with it against their most favorable opponent uh and like you said Every team left has a winning record except New England and the Chargers, who have been who are a good team. They've just blown a ton of games this season. Uh, so I, the biggest thing is that in terms of the tank race, the Jets have lost the games where they played well. Denver easily could have won that, blew it. Buffalo they played pretty good in that game, competed with a really good team, but ended up blowing that one. And then this one, of course. So I mean. If you're a tank fan, like I think you and I both are, tank fan. Um, I then this is they're they're doing what they need to do. They're losing the, the close games where they're playing well, and that's really important. So exactly. I think objectively, it's better for the Jets to be where they are now than for them to be two and seven, three and six, still out of the playoff race, but not in the Lawrence race, just right. by scoring a you know a couple a touchdown here against New England, or you know finishing off against Denver those wins wouldn't get them anywhere, but getting it, Trevor Lawrence can change everything for this team. In my mind, I think the jets have two things that they need to make sure they accomplish over the next few months. And if they do these two things, uh, they'll be set up very well for success. Um, because before we get into those two things, I think Joe Douglas is proving with this draft class that it's arguably and the bar is quite low, but arguably the best draft class the jets have had in years so I think he can draft. He has a treasure trove of, of draft picks over the next two years, and presumably he'll continue to, to, to build on it if he's trading Darnold or you never know what else could happen in the next few years. He has a boatload of cap space. We've seen that he knows how to manage a team, but these two things are they need to make sure they get that number one pick, which is the easier of the two. And the second one is they have to nail this head coaching hire because if they do those two things, in addition to having Joe Douglas build this team, we're going to see it legit long-term winner in Florham Park, New Jersey, which I don't think we've, we've been able to say maybe since the early 2000s for the Jets, but even then they were still losing, having a losing, losing season every other year. So 
they have a real opportunity in front of them. Speaking of the head coaching hire, I wanted to get your thoughts. Actually, really quickly, before we get into some, to some side news, just continuing on with this game, some underrated rapid-fire MVPs, I want to say, of this game. Harvey Lange looked quite good at inside linebacker for, you know, in comparison to, to what the Jets have had at inside linebacker. I'm not saying Harvey Lange is a long-term starter there, but clearly a good depth piece because of his values and spe- on his value. Yeah. On I, I mean, he was teams. weirdly good because he was so bad in the he Bills was, game. He was terrible over. in the Bills game, but the Jets started to use him more as a blitzer, which I think played more to his natural strengths. Um, so Harvey Lange, shout out to him, John Franklin Myers, fully fun. And, and then the Pats did really adjust to it at the end of the game. They called Again. draws, screen passes, right. and that's what coaches do. You adjust the yeah. stuff. Uh, um, I don't think Jets fans know what that looks like. Clear Jets personal favorite John Franklin Myers had a great game. Fully fought Akasi, as I just said. Both, I think the Jets have some studs in that front seven. I mean, the defensive line is the easiest position group in all of football to find talent at. But the Jets have a pretty good history of I mean, of the Jets a... have made it look easy. I don't know if necessarily because we're out of so all used to position them groups, do it. out of all position groups, defensive I think, line. I think running back is probably the easy. I mean, you're probably okay, right. It's okay, probably running okay. back than defensive. Running line. back or defensive line. That you got me there. Um, but I would say that defensive line is the deepest talent pool, but you're right. I mean, you can draft a guy in the third and, and start him, and, and, and you're looking at a, at a good starter there. But I would say those three guys on defense, you could throw in Ashton Davis, but we've already talked about him. Uh, and then on offense, uh, Connor McGovern, I thought this was probably his best game of the season. Um, the, the offensive line as a whole, really, I thought they just had a, had a really solid game. That would probably be it. Braden Mann, though, for special teams, had a couple of really nice punts um, uh, in this one. But the tank MVP, though, the tank MVP, Pierre Desir. And I said on Twitter that I'd be getting a jersey if the Jets somehow found a way to lose this game. So, Michael, I'm going to need one of your bootleg jersey websites to, to find me a cheaper version. I'm not going to pay $100 for a Pierre what, Desir. What are you talking about? I buy official New York Jets gear. <laughs> I'm not paying 100 bucks for a jersey <laughs> that I'm just going to put duct tape over and put tank on it. But um, I, I will find a way to get a Pierre Desir jersey. I'm a man of my word. Um, but looking ahead to some brief news that we've seen this week, Jim Harbaugh, I saw that news this week that, you know, potentially he's looking for a way out of the, out of Michigan and back to the NFL. He's been, he interviewed with the jets in 2009. There was rumors about his hire in 2015, even two years ago. I think the jets even put out an official statement at the end of 2018 saying they weren't interested in Jim Harbaugh, but clearly there have been some ties between Woody and Harbaugh. He is a Harbaugh. Um, there is the connection that Joe Douglas um, was in Baltimore where Jim Harbaugh's brother has been a, a coach there for over a decade. So there's that minor connection. You know what he loves to make a splash. He has been in the Super Bowl. It does make sense from that perspective, but I know I'm against it. And I believe you are as well, Michael. Um, really quickly, just we're tagging this on at the end of the podcast here, but talk about why, or maybe you've changed your mind. You don't think Jim Harbaugh should be anywhere near the Jets' top uh, uh, candidates for, for their 2021 head coach. Yeah, he's near the bottom of my list. I mean, I think I'd just rather be more forward-thinking, go for a guy who's on the way up rather than a guy who's on the way down. Um, I mean, Michigan's results, uh, I mean, they've won games, but they've definitely not met standards under him, met expectations. Their defense has consistently been better than their offense they haven't really developed quarterbacks well. So, I mean, and especially now because Michigan obviously just took a pretty embarrassing loss and their season isn't off to a great start. So to get him while he's getting 
shoved out is definitely not, you know, the point where you want to be getting a coach like him. So, I mean, overall, though, I just want, you know, we've talked about the enemy, Arthur Smith, Joe Brady. I want someone who's on the way up, not a big name whose best days are almost a decade behind us now. So uh, that's really my main thing. I really want an up and comer more so than a big name. And also he's a very kind of, uh, he has a shtick, you know, kind of like Adam Gase. And, and that can wear out. It wore out in San Francisco. It's wearing out in Michigan. Uh, and it, it, he's that sort of rah-rah guy, you know? So that really, I'm not a yeah, huge the, the fan hard, of that. The, yeah, it's the, it's the hard-ass thing that, it's, yeah. that we're seeing with Greg Williams that I'm sure if Jim Harbaugh came in his first year here, they might be pretty good, but it works better in college when you have new players every year and, and a four-year or five-year max, I guess, of players being around that. Um but yeah, I I even used Jim Harbaugh as my example in that Arthur Smith article a few months ago as the type of hire the Jets shouldn't make. Don't have Woody Johnson meddling and hire a big name like that. Let Joe Douglas pick his guy. We I clearly trust Joe Douglas as as the mastermind behind the Jets um, for the next hopefully decade. Um, don't pick a guy that is going to try to take personnel control. Take a guy that Joe Douglas is comfortable with, that has worked with, that is understands that it's not his roster, but it's his team. That Joe Douglas gets to make the the you know the the draft picks, he gets to sign free agents, he's going to work with you, but you're not going to have final say over the roster. And Jim Harbaugh, that's part of the reason he left San Francisco, is he wanted more roster control. And even if he comes in and says he won't, I do not trust that. Even if the Jets have any sort of success, or they don't, either way, a few years down the line, Jim Harbaugh is not going to be talking to Woody Johnson saying, Hey, you know, I think I should have more control over this. Um, I could totally talk myself into it. I talked myself into Adam Gase. Um, If he's coming in as, and he knows he doesn't have roster control and he's going to, I think he can build a good staff and he's not going to be calling plays. And, you know, I do like that he's been a head coach and he's in college and he has Super Bowl experience. There's some positives there, but overwhelmingly I would much rather roll the dice on a guy like Arthur Smith who is, I mean, if Arthur Smith becomes the higher, Michael, I mean, it'll feel like the Jets actually won a Super Bowl just with how much we've, we pushed him. I feel like we pushed him into the the top. I mean, I mean, he would have been a top candidate regardless. But I'm just going to say, not many people were talking about Arthur Smith, Michael, until we started talking about him. So, I mean, I yeah, think we're, we're in- taking full credit. We're not I, I was just about to say, I mean, I think, I think we're insecure and we need to take credit for every little thing. And, and Arthur Smith is going to be that uh, on this podcast. John Franklin Myers, Arthur Smith, any others, Michael? Bryce off. Bryce Huff. Bryce Huff. Yeah, thank you. Without We made Bryce Huff by getting him on this podcast. So um, I don't think he would have even made the team for you to come on the podcast. <laughs> I got to say, Joe Douglas is on his phone way too much during Jets games to not have a Twitter account. He's totally scrolling through Twitter. So you're telling me Joe Douglas didn't see that interview and say, you know what? This is a pretty smart kid. Going to keep him around. I'm, I wonder what he is doing on his phone. He's totally looking at Twitter. I mean, <laughs> What is he emailing people? Text? I guess he could be texting. Is he playing he's, Among Us? Yeah, he's probably playing Among Us. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Um, I think that'll do it for us. I don't think we have anything else here. Um, when you look at the Jaguar schedule, I know I read out the Jets one, but when you think about the Jaguar schedule, it's quite scary because they play the Packers. They're not winning that. They're not beating the undefeated Steelers. They're probably not beating the Browns, but they are at home. You never know. They have the Vikings on the road. The Vikings are their easiest team in the reigning schedule, but you look at the way Dalvin Cook has been running the last few weeks, that's not happening. Uh, home against King Arthur and the Titans, that's not happening. Against Baltimore, that's not happening. Chicago at home, I could maybe see that if Chicago can fall apart the last few weeks and then 
in Indianapolis, probably not happening. So they have a lot of tough games. Um, they did beat the upcoming. Colts in uh, week one. They did beat the Colts week one, but I think that's one of those things where you're not going to sweep them. Maybe you can steal one game, but because, hey, Jake Luton looks pretty good. They almost beat the Texans. If You know, Minshew's been competitive as well. So whoever's at quarterback, maybe they could steal a game against the Browns, the Vikings, or the Bears or something. I, I think the Browns and Bears are going to end up having losing records by the time they play them. And the same thing for the Jets. With the Browns, so I don't think I the think Browns the Browns will be interesting. I think the Browns are going to be in that playoff competition. Uh, competition. I, I think the Browns might actually make the playoffs, but the Bears. But I mean, I, the thing about the Browns is that they they beat the bad teams. It's the good teams they struggle with. So they're probably still yeah, a big problem. And they're, and they're playing the, the Jags and, and the yeah, exactly. We're talking about them against the Jags and Jets. I think yeah. the Bears are the team that I, I really think they have a, have a chance to win at. It's at home. It's late in the season. I think that's around. I think the Bears will have collapsed by then and lost quite a few games. So you never know. Um, I think that's going to do it for us. I know I'm going to end this podcast and think of something else I wanted to say, but I, I'm pretty sure that's that's it. We will most likely do a, a mailbag during the bye week, so we'll have that for you next Monday, sticking with the weekly podcast. And when we're done with this treacherous season and we get more towards the coaching hire, obviously we're going to have a lot of episodes during then, probably previewing each candidate, talking about it. Um, and then when we, I mean, we're, this is months away, so I don't even know why I'm talking about this, but when we get more towards the draft and free agency, we'll go back to multiple episodes every week. But right now we're probably just going to stick with the, the once a week episodes, unless, unless we want to extend that mailbag through multiple days or whatever. But um, Michael, that was the most stressed out. I've been about a, uh, felt about a jets game in a while. That was fun. I've seen that movie a million times. It was pretty exhilarating to be on the other side of it uh, and finally have your team for at least for that, for today come through i know there's probably a segment of jets fans who i mean i don't think they would have made it through this entire podcast but there's probably a segment of jets fans who wanted the jets to beat the patriots on primetime football you know it's hard as a fan to cheer for your team to lose but trust me in seven weeks or i guess eight weeks but in seven games it'll 100 percent be worth it if the jets end up with that number one pick nobody will care about a meaningless win against the Patriots in November who yeah. are a bad team this year. I will take Trevor Lawrence and I'll take sweeping the Patriots every year than beating them one time. And I, you know, for a terrible football team. So if you're at any, in any way upset about this win, I know it's embarrassing. I know this team is a joke. They found another way to, to lose. It's going to be shitty sitting through these next seven games, but if they can find a way to just lose these games, it'll hundred percent be worth it. If they win a game or two, it completely ruins all this hard work <laughs> that's gone into the season. Yeah, exactly. I I do not enjoy really rooting for them lose. Like, I, I mean, I look at all the individual players. Like, I, I want to see guys like Fabacasi do well, Denzel Mims, Bryce Huff, Bryce Hall, Ashton Davis. I want to see these guys do well. So it doesn't feel good to want these guys to not succeed. And to see them be disappointed and angry about losing, it, it doesn't feel good. But as a fan, we're rooting for the logo. We're rooting for the franchise, not necessarily the individuals. So what's most important, what gets them closer to Super Bowl is not winning a game at 0-8. It's, it's losing and getting closer to securing the greatest asset that's ever been available to a team really in modern history in Trevor Lawrence and everything that comes with him, the respect for the organization, the head coaching position becoming more attractive. So if winning Super Bowl is your goal, then losing is what gets the Jets there quicker, not winning these meaningless games. It's definitely not fun, but it's it's going to be worth it, as you said. 
All right, there you have it. You can follow us at CYJPod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania, myself at Ben W. Blessington. You can follow at JetsXFactor on Twitter and go to JetsXFactor.com for the best Jets content out there. Our podcast is there. In addition to Spotify and iTunes, just search Cool Your Jets. We're also sponsored by Manscaped. Go to Manscaped.com and use the code CoolYourJets for 20% off uh, and free shipping. Michael, it's been a pleasure. That was a stressful ball game, but Nick Folk in classic Folk hero fashion wins it for the Jets. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is a victory Monday, or, or I guess a victory Tuesday podcast. We're celebrating. We're popping the champagne. Seven games to go, ladies and gentlemen, and Trevor Lawrence will be a New York Jet. Donald takes the snap. Looks left under pressure. Touchdown, most likely. There goes Donald to the 40, to the 30, breaks the tackle at the 20, 10, 5. Unbelievable. 